It's the Stazapod. We're back. We got a jumbo Q&A session for you guys. Uh, I see no reason to delay. We're going to hop right into it. A couple questions this week about the Wheel of Knights and bits and how you unlock a spin on the wheel. So let me start at the beginning for those who maybe have never watched our Twitch streams. And let's just cover all the bases here. Uh, every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, Nikki and I do a live stream. Toy Pizza Live, where we cover new items. There may be store drops tied to this. Uh, every other week, usually, we play Wheel of Knights, which is this really fantastic prop built by a master propsman, Scott Page, a fellow squire of the slice. Uh, and we basically, for uh, a small amount of bits, which I'm going to cover momentarily, you get one or two spins at the wheel and you will usually win a prize that is worth well more than the value of bits. And uh, the purpose here is to kind of get older style of knights out there to people who might be joining us very late in uh, the game. And uh, it also helps me sort of thin out my collection of archive samples and things like that. The majority of stuff on the board are my own samples that it's not really fair for me to sort of sell on eBay or capitalize on the secondary market. And I don't really want to charge people market value for these very rare figures. So I figure we can make it a game and hopefully land these collectibles, these very rare collectibles in the hands of dedicated people. So in case I'm missing any uh, basis here, Twitch is a sort of online streaming platform. It's sort of like YouTube, but you essentially can watch live TV hosted by, you know, personalities that you enjoy. Hopefully, Nikki and I fall into that category. Um, on the platform of Twitch, there is a currency called Bits. And essentially, Bits are like in-world money. And the creators get paid for any Bit transactions that go on. Um, you can also help support the channel if you have Amazon Prime by subscribing to the channel. This will let you avoid any ad breaks and any uh, commercials that play before you log on to a stream. And uh, as a Amazon Prime member, you get one free sub every month. So every 30 days, you can resubscribe to our channel. And the subs are really where uh, we make the most amount of money, which is still to say a very small incremental <laughs> amount of money. But in any case, uh, what you need to do is to have some bits. I think actually you get a discount for bits if you are sub to a channel and if you have Amazon Prime. But you want to purchase some bits ahead of time for your Twitch account. Uh, the wheel spins cost either 2,500 bits or 5,000 bits, which gets you one and two spins of the wheel respectively. Um, there is a maximum of two spins per person, so you can't really buy out the entire wheel unless we're feeling pretty crazy and generous that night. Um, and roughly, uh, 2,500 bits is about $25, I think. There's some fees and taxes and stuff in that but it, roughly think of it as about 25 bits and i think us the channel we get uh you know a, a portion of that 25 dollars. i i don't know what it is off the top of my head uh looking this up now on google um twitch partners and affiliates i don't think we quite qualify for that yet um we'll receive one cent for every bit that is cheered on 
So 100 bits gives this streamer $1. 500 bits gives the streamer $5 and so on. Um, so, you know, you can think of it somewhere along the lines of that. And uh, it is really, really helpful to get bits. It's really, really helpful to get Prime subs as well. So uh, please, if you do have Amazon Prime, remember to do that every 30 days. That's the, the big thing that kind of injects a lot of lifeblood into Twitch streams. So during Wheel of Nights, we open the stream, we tell people what's on for prizes. Uh, this week, now you might be listening to this a little too late, but this week is uh, a Purple Knight, which was the Kickstarter-exclusive figure. These are incredibly rare. This is one of my personal samples I'm putting up on the wheel. I've seen Purple Knights go for anywhere between $100 and $200, maybe even in excess of that on eBay. So this is a huge prize. And the rest of the wheel is stocked with some really good stuff. A, a heavy focus on vector jumps this week because I know a lot of people have been asking for those. So um, I would say right off the bat, like $25 or 2,500 bits, uh, you're getting a value that is much greater than that with any of the prizes that are going to be up there. So um, that's pretty exciting. And it is also a fun event to do. It's fun to watch people spin the wheel. It's fun to see what they get in prizes. The entire thing is just, you know, it's really injected a new sort of excitement into our live streams, and I, I really look forward to doing it. So um, hopefully that covers all the bases. You can also sort of look up, uh, you know, just Google Twitch bits and how they work, and there are some very easy tutorials. There's even videos that kind of walk you through it. And uh, our good friend Thomas Jonte, who is a mod on our channel, will always hopefully be watching the chat and... Uh, moderating and he can sort of help walk you through that but when we start the stream we'll let people uh, kick their bits in and once we have eight people total we will then begin spinning the wheel if we go over eight uh, I have a couple backup figures I can throw up on the wheel but typically we want to look at eight opportunities per uh, wheel a night stream to sort of get somebody a prize so hopefully all that information makes sense feel free to ask questions as we're live streaming in the chat and again Thomas Jonte will hopefully uh, guide you in the right process. I know all this stuff is newfangled and uh, very high-tech. I don't understand it much myself, so I lean on smarter, younger people to help hold my hand, and, and you should too, frankly. So with that out of the way, and hopefully uh, the bit question being relatively well answered, I'm going to move on to our next question from Ryan Rusby. And Ryan, who, by the way, is a super patient guy. I have messed up a couple <laughs> shipments to him, and he's always very gracious and, and helpful so thank you ryan for that uh if you were designing a knight of the slice 80s style side scroller beat-em-up double dragon final fight captain america the avengers golden axe etc what characters would you use as your three to four playable characters and what characters would you include as level bosses i love this idea i love those types of games i think i would actually craft the game it would definitely be pixel art based no question there and i would craft the game off of um the Capcom Dungeon and Dragons games, which seems like such an odd pairing for side-scroller beat-em-up, but they did such a fantastic job with it. And these games are also, they have RPG elements and different branching quests you can go on, different endings, and a password save feature. So even at the arcade, you could go back the next week and continue your game, which is pretty exceptional. Um, so I would want it to be like that. I would want it to be a side-scroller, but to have a lot of depth and sort of character customization. Um, the four party characters, that's a really tough 
tough question. I guess, um, God, oh, that's so, that's so difficult. It, it sort of has to be, um, you know what? I'm, I'm going, I'm going to cheat a little bit, right? I'm going to do reskin. So the four characters are essentially, um, Rex Gannon, Radic slash Vaughn, like different skins, uh, Jasmine slash Saima, again, different skins, and then the fourth character, oh man, that's so tough, maybe we have a, a skin that is, uh, Verkill slash, um, Ermir, let's say, because I like having, like, a skinny, quick sort of character, so... That last one can be a bit of a wild card. And these are two characters that, you know, kind of skew towards evil. So that might make it interesting. Maybe it's, instead of Count Verkill himself, it's a Verkill assassin. Maybe they've been reprogrammed. Um, so I think that's a pretty good lineup there. Because you have your sort of hero character. You have, um, you know, your tank characters. You have your uh, female combat character. And then kind of a skinny, stealth-based character. So... That would probably work pretty well. In terms of bosses, you know, I, I think we, we started the first comic book and work our way through. You know, you have Tank, uh, Head of Tank as the first boss, uh, Skull Grimson, and maybe Teal turning evil. You kind of go through there. Oh, also, the, the sort of second skin for Player One, it would be Rex Gannon and a Knight of the Slice classic. But you can sort of change the color on the Night of the Slice Classic. But they essentially have the same uh, same sort of stock body. It's just different costume, um, if that makes sense. So it's kind of hard to do just four people. But um, I think with a little, like, character selection within those slots, we could make it work. And just thinking about it, I would love to play this game. <laughs> Next up, Gabe Tovar. I feel like we don't really see it as often as we did in the 90s, but figures that come with battle damage always seem too cool to me growing up. From Gundam, Toy Biz, movie figures like Small Soldiers, I always found battle damage really cool because the figures would have extra molded detail and extra paint-ups that would add a new layer of personality to a figure. Do you have a particular battle damage figure you always liked? Um, the Gundam Mobile Suit in Action battle damage figures are incredible, and there's so much new tooling with those figures and the paint deco is is fantastic they go for quite a bit of money now and i i sort of am kicking myself for not picking them up back in the day but um fantastic stuff like so so good it, it's hard to think of one that's that's better than that speaking of which uh mobile suit in action is sort of back and uh we're gonna cover this on a future video briefly with nikki but um, there's a line called Gundam Infinity, and these are 4.5-inch action figures. And they are very, very close to the mobile suit and action figures that we love so much from previous days. Uh, there is actually a battle-damaged 2-pack featuring a Zaku and I think uh, RX-78. Um, not really like battle damage in the sculpt, more the sort of paint deco. But... Um, a really, really fantastic line, and the limbs are swappable, which I really like. So, uh, just a quick side note, it feels like MSIA is back, baby. Next question from Matt Reed. I just got around to reading Normal Combat Book 1, and I loved it. I don't know if the novella form 
if it's a novella format or what, it's become one of my favorite pieces of the Night of the Slice narrative. Will we see a book two at some point? Um, I would sure like to do another novella. Um, I definitely have... I think the problem with normal combat is I, I have too many branching paths that would happen next after normal combat one. And I haven't decided which of these paths I want to go down. I have some really fantastic ideas. Um, we touched in the book on this tournament that sort of only augmented people can join. It's a fighting tournament and they want Rex to go to it. So that's obviously one path. Uh, I also have this idea for another race that Rex would enter into on behalf of the Burned. Uh, and this is one taking place in Europe as opposed to the sort of tropical island of Turbo Atoll. Uh, you know, there's just so much I want to do with these characters. I don't have the clear path laid out in front of me yet. There are also two either short stories or novellas that will probably exist as ebooks, not printed books. Um, coming soon. One is obviously the battle for Pangea Island. And then another one involving Alexander and what he's been up to because he is, uh, he's definitely building himself an army. I'll say that much. Um, the problem with printed books are they actually don't sell very well. Uh, I'm very appreciative of everybody who picked up Normal Combat and I hope it was a good read. But there are, you know, a lot of, uh, I got a lot of inventory. So, do me a favor, it's discounted in the store. Go buy it, please. Before I resume questions again, I wanted to share a pretty cool story. I, I was speaking the other day with Matt Dowdy on one of our hour and a half long phone conversations, and he brought up that this sort of point of what we're doing with this great project with Knights of the Slice and Toy Pizza is uh, in some respects to inspire, right? And that's part of the reason he does what he does with Glyos. It is to inspire other people. And I think that the community we have built up is really fantastic. And thankfully it hasn't sort of been corrupted or overrun by trolls at this point. I hope we can sort of maintain that goodness as long as possible. Um, and, you know, it's always very enriching for me to see people be inspired to, you know, start keeping a sketchbook or sharing their photos on the Discord or, you know, just kind of inching closer to a life that has a little more creativity or a little more fulfillment. And uh, the other day, I got a uh, direct message on Instagram from a Squire of the Slice who was interviewing at a toy company. He said he heard my Dostazapod about finding a company you like and offering to take out the garbage for them, so to speak. This is sage wisdom I got from uh, Fred Seibert many, many years ago. And uh, so he did that, and he interviewed at this toy company. We'll disclose the name, but it's one we all know. And uh, he was kind of updating me on the, on the process, his interviews and his follow-up. And he got the job. And I think that's pretty exceptional. It's such a great story. You know, this is somebody who started out as a toy fan and took the leap and is now fully a member of the actual, behind the scenes, the real deal toy industry. 
and that to me is just, it's, it's so fantastic. I had to share with you guys. I can't actually take any credit for this. And I, I don't take any credit for this. This is, you know, the, the person in question did all the work here. They went, they interviewed, they pulled together their portfolio. They made the drive, you know, they pushed through, they, they made it happen. Uh, I can only say that, you know, um, what we're doing here has provided a spark of inspiration for other people. And I think that that, you know, is the truly magical part of Night of the Slice and Toy Pizza and Distazapod and, and all of this. So, uh, congratulations. And, uh, let's get back to the questions. Charlie Pope states, I've been really getting into D&D lately. Ever thought of doing a D&D style handbook for the Night of the Slice universe? Could be fun to add to the canon and see some amazing work. Um, so I think many things about D&D. First of all, I was, I was corrected recently, uh, by my D&D group that actually it's not a D&D anymore. Nobody calls it a D&D. It's officially D&D. Um, I didn't know this. <laughs> I've been calling it AD&D for uh, my entire life, and I think D&D lacks a, a certain panache, but um, I'm sure there's a reasonable uh, cause for that distinction. In any case, um, I have done more than thought about a sort of D20 rule-based handbook. I've actually done some preliminary stuff in regards to it, and there's been actually a couple different collaborators who have been, uh, I've been discussing the project with, and we've just never managed to kind of get off the ground with it. Part of the, the issue here is it's not going to be a money-making thing, which is okay. Um, not everything I do, uh, relating to Knights of the Slice makes money. In fact, very few things do, but there is a great cost involved in stringing together an entire module, and uh, there's very few Night of the Slice people that would actually buy a digital copy of this module. So um, I have to sort of chalk this up as a sort of marketing exercise, and that means it kind of takes back burner to things that demand my attention that are revenue generating. So that's sort of the first level of uh, resistance for this idea. The second thing is, it is kind of hard to find people to collaborate with on this. I can't write a module myself. I do not have enough ingrained knowledge about D&D. Um, fun fact, before I put him on Turbo Atoll, uh, Nobby Wood was actually um, slowly going down the rabbit hole of what a D20 Night of the Slice game looks like. For those who are his patrons, you can go back and he actually made little stand-up characters for Knights of the Slice. Um, in fact, if you're not following him already on Patreon, you absolutely should be, uh, Nobby Woods Tower, and, uh, go back and get those little printout foldable character creations. So, we were actually going to do a lot of this sort of game, uh, assets through his Patreon, but I needed him on Turbo Atoll, and the focus kind of got shifted. And I'm glad we did it the way we did, because he really brought something special to Turbo Atoll. Um, so it was sort of necessary. Um, how this will likely take shape when it does is that the people in my current D&D group will likely do the writing for this module. And I don't want them to do that for free. I want to pay them to do that. And so I'm just waiting till I'm flush with cash and I can sort of throw away 
a couple grand on a module that maybe three or four people buy uh, before I sort of, you know, put those people on the task. Um, it, it Ultimately, I decided it's going to be very tough for me to write the module with people I don't know or haven't known for years. And the advent of, you know, my D&D group is that uh, some of my oldest friends are in it and have followed the entire life cycle of not just Knights of the Slice, but even earlier than that, Rex Gannon, etc., etc. So those are the people I can really trust to sort of extrapolate on my ideas. And they also have the nuanced understanding of D20 games and relics and, you know, rolling and all that shit. Um, they have that on lockdown. So that those are the people that will bring this to life for me. It's just a question of when I can afford to do that. And a final point here, I do think actually it's something that has to be playtested and playtested in person, which, um, you know, for... There's been quite a few different Squires of the Slice that have had aspirations to do this, and I've encouraged it, but I think ultimately for a game I bring to market, I got to be face-to-face with people, and I got to be playtesting this, and that, of course, has all sorts of restrictions, uh, as you can imagine. Moving along to Keith Joy, what are some much-watched media for you during the spooky season? My wife and I just got done with Over the Garden Wall, and we'll be moving on to The Crow next. Uh, Damn, I think The Crow's about as good as it gets. Um, I'm not a huge horror movie guy, and my girlfriend is petrified of scary movies, so I don't have the opportunity to watch a lot of them. So, um, you know, I think maybe Nightmare Before Christmas is, is about as edgy as it gets in this household but the crow great pick absolutely not related to the spooky season but once the spooky season is over uh when we get into november i tend to like to watch uh lord of the rings broken up you know over the course of several months the full extended editions i like to start those you know sometime before thanksgiving and kind of roll into christmas um just something I do every year. Yeah, obviously, I have an affinity for the brand, having worked at New Line and Play Along Toys before that. And uh, I don't know, it's just kind of a, a cozy feeling. I remember that first Christmas when Fellowship of the Ring debuted. I, I mean, I I remember, you know, 1989, uh, sorry, 1997 and 98 on Raving Toy Maniac finding out about Peter Jackson's website and that he was doing a Lord of the Rings film. And one of the truly unique things at that time was he was putting all this preliminary stuff up on the internet and it took hours for a photo to download, but it was all there and you could follow along. And I think this might've even, it's possible this predated New Line's involvement. It was just sort of Peter Jackson's pitch. And uh, so, you know, leading up to that Christmas when Fellowship actually debuted and the fact that it ended up being a fantastic movie, um, I just have a lot of nostalgia for it. Next up from Val Verde, regarding well-being, I know you said that you try to limit caffeine intake, limit online time, get in mindless, productive shop work, all things that help you take a step back and keep grounded. In these times, have you noticed that you've had to add something more to your routine to help with maintaining serenity or just being consistent with what you already have in place has been sufficient? Um, this is a really good question. I think that, um, you know, my things as you've outlined, my sort of best practices, as I call them, they still hold true. And, you know, the world at large 
feeling more dire or more pleasant is largely a perception. Um, and that's not to say that there aren't bad things happening in the world and life right now is not particularly great, but a lot of the severity of that is based on our individual antennas and how much we're picking up and letting in and uh, you know it is how we perceive it not necessarily the you know the depth of uh of uh direness or hostility in the world I, i mean if you zoom out we're in you know a relatively comfortable existence compared to how the rest of humanity has existed for all of our time on this planet. Uh, so a lot of external stimulant or external negativity is really just that. It is external and it depends on how you are sort of picking up, processing, letting in certain things uh, to how much they affect you. Uh, this, I, I'm sort of not really articulating this <laughs> in, a, in a good way, but, it, you know, most of negativity is a choice to some degree, okay? Especially when it comes to world events that you have no control over. Your body's reaction to that is something that can be uh, sort of massaged or managed or steeled against. So for me, when I'm feeling particularly depressed or I feel overwhelmed about the state of the world or I'm having just, you know, things go wrong in my life, uh, those best practices that I do, they work every time. And sometimes it takes a little bit longer for them to work. So if on a good day I'm not on my phone, you know, from 8 p.m. until you know, the following morning. Uh, if I'm feeling particularly out of it, I make that 24 hours if I can. You know, I just turn it off. Uh, if uh, that doesn't work, I go and I clean the entire workshop. I pull everything out. I, I've been keeping a... I've been on this very ambitious project of inventorying every single item I have. And it... Seemed like such a daunting task, but now that I'm in it, it's actually very rewarding to see this nice spreadsheet with a picture and a quantity of every single thing I've ever made. Uh, it's been a really good sort of zen exercise. And so if there's a day when I'm particularly down and, you know, things in the external world feel completely overwhelming, I'll spend even more time doing inventory than I would on a normal day. So the, the sort of uh, the sort of amount of these best practices I do corresponds to how much sort of external negativity I'm kind of perceiving. I will say one practice that I'm trying to get back into is getting back on the exercise bike. I was very good about that, um, you know, for several years and really kind of fell off from doing it. But I'm, I'm back on the bike. Uh, I have enticed myself to do this by buying Metroid Dread, which is something I want to talk about next. And uh, I'm slowly getting back to that. I mean, I, I do think regardless of your situation, um, exercise does help. It helps almost any sort of, you know, 
uh, depression or mental uh, feelings you might be having. It, it, it does work. It's just one of those sort of golden things. And I fucking hate exercising. I don't like it. I must be coerced into doing it. But it does work and it does feel great. So um, I guess if, you know, the question is, do I have to supplement my best practices with anything? I think I can always do, you know, um, exercise. I, I would also say best practice wise, getting outside. And even if it's a shitty day, getting into nature, getting outside, this is a huge thing. This is, you know, it is, it will have a deep effect on you in the positive. Oh, and also you neglected to mention avoiding sugar, which, uh, hate to sound like a conspiracy theorist here. I think that is probably the most profound change I made to my life. And, uh, that has affected my mental state for the better. Um, but you know, your mileage may vary. Next up, we got another great question here from Gordon McKinnon Hall. As a solution to the increasing difficulty in churning out new figures, would you ever consider redirecting Patreon resources towards more comics and story development? As my collection has grown, it's the narrative that has continued to keep me engaged, often more than the latest drop. Well, I, I think there's there's a lot of interesting things here. And I think that unofficially, I have stated many times that the Patreon you are paying for the content and the action figure is a sort of bonus gift to that. Now, I think in 2022, that has to be the official premise of the Patreon, right? You have to be here for the content, for the live streams, for the pre-orders, for the sneak peeks, and the figure is actually a sort of ancillary experience to that. Uh, because of the global supply issues. I, I just heard a report today, I think it was New York Times, saying that in a best case scenario, this sort of loggerhead that is jammed up manufacturing is not going to be solved until next summer in a best case scenario. Uh, and I think that that is completely optimistic. So um, I think that the, we have to realign the perception and the expectation of the Patreon to all of the stuff that you get that is not physical. And the figure will still be part of it, but one, there's a question of how many I can actually get to you guys next year. And two, uh, if I can do it every 30 days, which I don't see any reasonable way we can do that. So... There is going to have to be a shift here. Um, and in terms of the resources, the actual, the physical money that you guys give me, that going to storytelling and comics and things like that, that's already happening. And, um, you know, it, we can't really separate necessarily Patreon money from money earned on the store and in drops because it kind of goes all in the same pot. Um, but... The resources from Patreon, when they're not being used for manufacturing, they're going right to comics. I, I would say that's probably this, the second biggest expenditure that I have for this business. So it is sort of already happening. Now, the unique challenge to comics specifically is that it's very hard to turn one out every 30 days. So there will definitely be content 
which, you know, short stories, take that form, short stories with pictures, ebooks. Um, there's definitely going to be more regular narrative and written content and, and graphics. Um, the question is sort of, you know, uh, how much of that can I conceivably execute within a 30-day period and still make the quality good? Next up, a question from Matt Connolly. Did you ever go out on a mischief night or were you a part of spooky season pranks? Uh, I only have one evening I can recollect going out on Halloween. And um, that was, let's see, would have been about 96, I think, because Antichrist Superstar was like the big album at the time. I dressed as Marilyn Manson. Um, I uh, had... My parents were gone for some reason, which wasn't that odd at that period. They were sort of, you know, at the casino or wherever. Um, And so I told everyone, I told a few friends, meet on my front lawn. And, you know, we'll go walk through the neighborhood, smashing pumpkins or whatever, getting candy. We were all 15, 16, 17. And uh, a good portion of my high school showed up on my front lawn. (laughs) I didn't realize, I, I don't think it was that I was popular, because I certainly wasn't, but I think just nobody had anything to do in our town. So everybody showed up, and we were all just, like, fucking around on my front lawn doing flips and stuff, all dressed in costumes. Uh, And then we all sort of split up and just went through the neighborhoods, and I don't think um, we did really much of anything. I think we kind of went to houses that had um, buckets outside and just took candy, Um, Maybe a couple pumpkins got rolled down some streets, but uh, largely, you know, pretty non-chaotic group of uh, teenagers. Um, So I I can't say I have any particularly cool or spooky stories in that regard. Next question from Lance Tomimoto. It is the Tomimoto Zone, folks. Favorite Kenner Swamp Thing figure? This is very easy. Uh, the glow-in-the-dark one. I believe it's Bio-Glow Swamp Thing. Um, despite its kind of floppy weapons, fantastic figure, fantastic glow color, fantastic spray apps. Uh, I just love that figure, but I love all of the Swamp Thing line. Next question from Trevor Petkiss. Will all Verkill figures going forward include the neck piece that came with the Mars Scout Deluxe pack? Uh, not necessarily. So, Verkill... And the Cherubium, these are uh, a couple different tool sets that happen to be released around the same time. So not necessarily. And personally, I think of the neck piece as being more of a utility for the Cherubium because their heads do not have a sort of seamless fit with necessarily every body. So that neck piece uh, largely serves as a way to kind of help integrate the look of an animal head on bodies that might have some difficulty for it. So, um, the answer is not necessarily, um, but uh, I got some very cool Verkills on deck, and I'm looking forward to releasing those sometime soon. Next question from Retrozone Neon. Will there be any Halloween-themed products for the spooky season? Um, We had a few planned, but it does not look like anything's going to land in time. I will 
have everybody, of course, reference the global delay that's going on. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't think we're going to sort of have as comprehensive of a spooky theme throughout October as we had last year, per se. But actually, that's okay, because the problem with seasonality is once the, that event date is over, your stuff doesn't sell. So, um, we also kind of had, because of the backup, I had to get through this battle for Pangea uh, storyline. Originally, I thought that was going to happen in the summer. It's now happening in October. So, that's going to be the focus for us in October, with maybe one or two slightly spooky-feeling things. Final question, and a good one, from Max G. Uh, Now, there are going to be spoilers in my answer for Max's question. So, if you have not received Action Figure of the Month for October, you may want to fast-forward through this question, and I bid you adieu. But if not, if you've gotten it, or you want it spoiled, here we go. Can you tell us a bit about October's Action Figure of the Month and the significance of their cool accessory? Okay, so you, my friend, are holding the Hyper Knight Ice. And this is a continuation of a color scheme that we've done a couple iterations of. The sort of uh, Planet of Ice, let's call it, motif. And this harkens back to a lot of things, but to a certain construction type of set I had as a kid. And uh, I'm happy to sort of add another chapter in that book. Um... What he does contain, which has left some people scratching their heads, is a piece of neon rope. And why would there be a piece of neon rope? Well, uh, this is just simply a love letter to all of the great accessories we used to get as kids. You can look at things like um, Sky Commanders or, uh, you know, the many grappling hooks that were paired with figures. And... uh, There is a little pocket of the Night of the Slice universe that I have not yet sat down and fleshed out, but there is sort of mining that is happening on ice moons in this universe. And I have this story where uh, Jasmine, of all people, sort of goes to visit one of these outposts, and she meets, amongst other things, the sort of hyper ice. Um, I don't know when I'm going to have time to tell this story. It's not sort of um, urgent in terms of upcoming releases and things like that. So it's just sort of this back uh, burner idea. Um, I did think when I placed the order for this Hyper Ice, which I think was, could have been a year ago, um, I thought I would sort of be at this juncture where I would dive in deep on this kind of Planet of Ice idea. But... That uh, there's been other things that have percolated to the surface that are more important and more interesting, frankly. So, never quite got to it. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to source some rope. And, you know, you can consider that his sort of grappling gear. Uh, there's probably a lot of traversing of uh, ice cliffs and things like that that this character may use it for. You'll also notice there is a really beautiful embroidered patch. Thanks to Siva Jack for helping us get that sourced. Um, This figure was originally intended to be either November or December of this month, but as you guessed it, the global 
supply chain collapse has uh, meant I have to shift things around. So um, with a little luck, our original October figure will be here in November. Uh, If we are less than lucky, I imagine that will slide to December. But in any case, we're at the last two months of Action Figure of the Month Club. Uh, Action Figure of the Month Club, in that title, will not exist in 2022. We will have a lot of changes, and um, a new sort of entity will take its place with uh, a much more sort of leisurely rollout of figures, let's say. I think that's the best way to put it. But I am, of course, still finalizing all my details and not quite sure um, what I'm going to present to you guys, but I will give you plenty of heads up and help ease the transition into what will be 2022, if you can believe it.